0: You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of training the church.
1: This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co host, Jen Wilkin. What's up? And JT English. Hey, hey. And on today's episode, we're going to continue to jump into the book of Acts, looking at the story of Paul and Barnabas in the Jerusalem Council. Hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, y'all, what do y'all think about this episode title, huh? PBNJ. I don't get it. Not your best work. Okay, well.
0: <laughs> you were pretty excited about it, though, weren't you? I, well,
1: I was, especially at the end of the last episode when I said it. Okay, tell me the
2: truth, though. Like, how much time do you <laughs> I, spend coming up with this stuff? I pretty, Actually, who's
1: your ghostwriter? Who's my ghostwriter <laughs> like, for Like, who it? does this for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving it away. I want all the credit for this. Um, PB&J. We're talking about Paul. Barnabas. In Jerusalem. See, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. P-B-N. I followed it,
2: yeah. J- but yeah. if you
0: were going to be more accurate, you'd have to say they're in Cyprus.
2: Antioch. Yeah, Antioch, I get it, okay? Like, like, it's
0: not a
1: perfect type. okay?
0: okay. <laughs> C And I feel like producer
1: Ryan is rolling her eyes so hard the whole room might spin. But, mm-hmm. okay. Um, is she eating
0: avocado toast today?
1: <sighs> let's see. What do we think? We got it. no breakfast options over here. Yeah. Just... Just a couple of cool producers in the booth shaking their heads. They were playing some hype music to get us started. You didn't hear it; it was just in our headphones. Right. Um, and there was a small error in pulling up the file. Yeah, we didn't get the clean version no, of whatever, whatever the not. song was. <laughs> <laughs> um, we listen. We are. We're glad that uh, we're glad that you're here, uh, and we're talking about Acts. We're still in the Book of Acts. Back in. Back in. Uh, we're talking about Acts, and we're talking specifically through Acts because it connects with where men and women's Bible study is at the village. Yep. Yep. And so uh, in the fall, uh, on Knowing Faith, we, we covered the first really 12, 13-ish chapters. It was 12, Kyle. 12 chapters um, of the book of Acts. And now we're jumping into chapter 13 and going forward. And we encounter um, Barnabas and Paul. And we start meeting them. We start following them along their journey, specifically focusing on Gentile mission. And it's really exciting because we start getting – we start getting a picture of what this uh, of I don't know the Acts is always kind of painting a picture of the people of God in transition like Israel coming to an awareness Jews coming to an awareness of like wow God is doing something among the Gentiles we saw that with Peter and mm-hmm. Cornelius but really at this point I feel like it starts to really put the focus there
2: yeah it's been ratcheting it open the mm-hmm. whole the whole time so yeah. you start with this very small you know thing that's happening in Jerusalem and basically the words of Jesus in in Acts 1-8 of it's going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth is what the book of Acts then proceeds to paint a picture of for us. So in the first 12 chapters, that was what we saw. We saw this continual sort of concentric circle expanding out. And now we're going to see the, the message essentially handed in terms of the way the text is written from Peter to Paul, and we'll start to go with Paul on his missionary journeys. And Barnabas is one of his companions.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And that's even um, like contextually significant because for centuries, the center of the faith in Yahweh was Jerusalem. Right. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Antioch is now going to become one of the centerpieces of the rest of the the book of Acts is showing how different this faith is from what they thought it was going to be. We no longer have to go to Jerusalem to worship because we are the temple of God. And yeah, Jesus' whether, words
2: to the woman at the well. Yes. We're starting to see the fulfillment of those mm-hmm. in and a very so,
0: literal sense. And like, and not in like a – I mean, Kyle, I thought you were going to be all over this as a church planter. Like this is church planting. Like all of a sudden you have a healthy, thriving church in Antioch. It says there's prophets, they're teaching, they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're fasting and praying. And, and you're seeing that a healthy church doesn't need to be in Jerusalem. Healthy churches should be planted to the ends of the earth.
1: Yep. I missed it. Come on, church planter. I missed my shot, man.
0: I feel like every church planter, like you guys, just have these lines ready. Like church planting is everything, and here it is. Like, you actually have
1: it. We're X13. in your book.
0: This is it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: this is what you do. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, like, um.
2: Ruth is my book. Uh huh. What, what,
1: what's Because y'all both
2: women. Because I'm a lady. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then, like, this is your book because you're this a church, church planter. A church what's parent? JT's book?
1: Probably Lamentations Because
2: <laughs> he's a
0: pain
1: <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go cry in the corner for a little bit <laughs> uh, Well, okay So uh, when we get to Acts 13 we There's one f- familiar name to us Which is Saul um, and uh, But just as a re- recap Who is Saul? We already met him But who is this guy?
2: Well, he's been a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was determined to extinguish this new movement, and he had gone to great pains to do so. And the first time we see him, he's standing giving approval at the stoning of Stephen. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, of course, last semester in the first 12 chapters, we got to see his conversion on the road to Damascus, one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture. And now, as we get into the second part of Acts, we see that he is Saul, also Paul, is the way that he's referred to. And I have to say, this is a big misconception that I myself lived with for years, Mm -hmm. was that Saul is an example of someone in the Bible who receives a new name. Have you heard this? A
1: ton. We talked about it a little bit last season, too. But yes, I heard it all the time.
2: Like I'm not even sure that I had realized that was not what was happening until we started studying Acts here. Well, the, the Book of
1: Acts makes it like it just starts calling him Paul and doesn't say anything about it. Yeah, it's not like there's this big christening ceremony yeah. and you know water gets dumped on him and everybody's like it's
2: you know he's Paul now forever. <laughs> you who were Saul, you are now Paul. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's basically just doing what it what the Bible does elsewhere, where mm-hmm. it's acknowledging that he has both a, a Hebrew and a, a Roman name. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, his Roman name, and I feel like my high school latin should have helped this be top of mind for me wait you took I'm latin s- in sorry in high school? i'm sorry mr scalarood i forgot this um that wait was Paula, mr Scalarud, P- the yeah, name mr. Of Scalarud, your, yeah that is the
1: most yeah m- and and I perfect go,
2: name for a latin oh, high yeah. school
1: mr scalarood
2: he was great and he was i grew up in a small enough town that he had to do double duty teaching latin at both of the high schools wow. because there was nobody else in town who knew it okay details so at any rate i also (laughs) was the secretary of the latin club if anyone wants to add that to my resume secretary (laughs) (laughs) a lot of duties a lot of a lot of responsibilities but at any rate um paul's latin name means small or humble did you know that i did not so i like that there's a little bit of irony going on there Mm. and also a little bit of a descriptor that this is the one who was uh filled with, yeah. with pride yeah. and yet his, his Latin name is his Roman
1: name means Small. last and least. Small. Wow. Yeah. So, but he meets this guy named Barnabas. Yep. In the Antioch church. So acts 13. Now there were in the church and Antioch prophets and teachers, and right out the gate, we get Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, many, and a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So Barnabas is just one of the prophets and teachers at the church at Antioch, mm-hmm. and in this time of prayer and fasting, they get connected. Like the like the Lord appoints for these two to work in tandem for a little while. So is this like a John Lennon Paul McCartney thing? You know, it's is like it a like church like planning
0: a... conference? <laughs>
1: oh, oh my! God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> just just go ahead. You get you get two more. <laughs> um, <laughs> Two more. That's the limit. We'll get a buzzer yeah. and I'll ring it.
2: <laughs> but we're not just meeting Barnabas for the first time here. We met him back in Acts chapter 9 okay. where he actually vouches for Saul because when Saul shows up, everybody's like, mm. okay, <laughs> I remember this guy yeah. and I don't want to sit next to him. Sure. Yep. So, and Barnabas is like, no, 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 be cool. Everybody just be cool. Yep. And so he, Barnabas' name means "son of encouragement and we see him doing that. He is encouraging people to trust Saul. He's encouraging people when they're enduring persecution. We see that in Acts chapter 11. And so there was an existing uh, relationship between them. And now the Holy Spirit is saying, guess what, this is, this is, Barnabas is
1: going to be your sidekick. Yeah. So you guys are going to work as a team. Together. And this also, too, does mirror a little bit of the commissioning. I mean, if I can stop now, now I'm definitely putting on the church. Market. I was going to say, are you going to talk about, oh, Golly, and you need the, you need the, the guy not, who does this and the guy no, who's the encourager. This one does That's not. Count no, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to make it that on the nose. But I am going to say that we do see in Jesus' ministry that when he sends them out, uh, the 72, sends them out, right, two by two, right? He sends them out in pairs. So there is kind of a principle, even throughout the New Testament, of kind of like, we need each other to work. Together, Mm -hmm. Right. Like, here we go. Like, you're about to embark on a pretty significant mission, right? You guys are going to go out. You're going to really start amping it up, planting, working among Gentiles, sharing the gospel, cultivating followers of Jesus, cultivating leadership across Gentile faith communities. And he sends them out together.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's it. There's a direct connection textually to the, those words of Jesus because he sends them out in a pair. And then when they meet with opposition from the Jews, what do they do? They shake the dust off yep. of their robes and they move on, yep. which is that's what Jesus said. If mm-hmm. you were treated this way, that is exactly what you should do. So, so,
1: so let's talk a little bit about the, um, the opposition they encounter, because these guys encounter resistance o- everywhere, yeah, and everywhere and immediately. Right. And we know through Paul's journey uh, – that he encounters resistance just about everywhere he goes. Sometimes it's Gentile opposition, but especially early on in the second half of Acts, it's mostly Jewish opposition and resistance. So even if you just go a little bit forward in Acts 13, you talk about their journey to Cyprus, right? So when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. They go through the whole island as far as Paphos. They come upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God, but Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, right? And so they immediately are encountering Opposition, okay, that there is resistance to the message they're preaching, and you go further on, you see that when they get to Pisidia, Paul stands up among them and says, men of Israel and you who fear God, the God of the people... Uh, This people, Israel, chose our fathers, made them great. He goes forward. He kind of recounts the whole story of Scripture. He gets to the end talking about the offering of Jesus. And as he was finishing his courses, what do you suppose I am? I'm not he. He talks about John the Baptist. He gives the whole story of what's coming. And then it says what? After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Barnabas and Saul, uh, Paul as they spoke with them. They urged them to continue the grace of God. So they're meeting opposition. They're meeting reception. Mm-hmm. What does this look like in Acts thirteen and fourteen? What were they doing? What's what's the whole thing?
2: Well, man, you blazed right through a really important sermon there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Verse 17, starting in verse 17 of chapter 13, which for those of you who were having trouble following where Kyle was the text. That's where he was. Thank you. Uh, where he he preaches a particular angle that has not necessarily been the emphasis thus far in the sermons that we have heard taken to the synagogues. If it had been preached, it hasn't been emphasized to the extent that it's emphasized here. But he appeals to the sonship of David. Mm-hmm. So he he he's laying on that emphasis of this is this is the fulfillment of the the promised seed from David, and. They're kind of into it for a little while. Like initially the Jews respond with, okay, we want to hear more about this. But then when a giant crowd shows up, they're like, oh, hang on. (laughs) Um, Which is interesting. Like why do you think it is that when the crowds all show up the following Sunday, Saturday, Mm -hmm. they're like,
1: hmm. Well, I think they see it building momentum. Yeah. And I think that that, it's a disrupting power structure. Yeah. Right?
2: Yeah. So it was an interesting idea up until the point that the idea took on –
1: yeah, that this could actually change the dynamics of this entire faith community, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think that's got to be a big part of it, mm-hmm. right?
2: But why why are, why are Paul and Barnabas in the synagogues?
1: Well, they're in the synagogues because Jesus said, right, that it's uh, the, there's this inside-out approach yeah. that they're taking on their missionary journeys, right, yeah. to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Yeah. So they enter into a given community. They go to the synagogue. They go to the place where they already know there are people who are primed with the story of the Old Testament, uh, who are God-fearers, so mm-hmm. to speak. They get right there in the center of it. They engage them. They proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. They typically do it through connecting it meaningfully to the Old Testament, yeah. as they do here. Fulfillment. Fulfillment narrative. And then they just kind of like, sometimes it goes really well, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's right. I mean, yeah. And it, this is not all that dissimilar from what we saw in the first half of the book of Acts. Right. The word of God goes forward. For some, it grows and expands. For others, it, it will bring persecution. Yeah. And this was, the, this was literally the last episode we did is for some people, the, mess, the missions going to go well. Uh, for others, it's going to go poorly.
1: All right. So uh, in Acts 14 – They've moved. uh, Now they're in Iconium, right? It says, just like it said in Acts 13, they enter into a Jewish synagogue. They spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believe. Hold on here. Uh, why Why are there Greeks around the synagogue? That's an interesting kind of, I mean, like, wouldn't you just think like that's the Jewish epicenter? Why are there Greeks there?
0: I think that would have been a common thing, especially, yeah. if, especially if they're drawing a crowd. Okay. I think of the people interested in the message of Yahweh yep. and if there's people following them, it's, yep. it's really not that strange.
1: Yeah, and it's like – keep in mind the synagogue for us, like we might think of the synagogue as like a church building where you only go to do church stuff, But around the synagogue would have been a whole kind of economic enterprise. It would have been like a cultural center. That's right. Like a landmark. That's right. Um, and they're going into regions that have been Hellenized largely right and there has been a there's Jewish communities that have been scattered into largely greek and gentile regions yes mm-hmm. so the places where paul and barnabas go on these gentile missions were places where paul goes where the church is spreading right is from jerusalem and beyond and as they do that in this great empire they are encountering uh, what we might call as a diasporic Jewish communities, mm-hmm. and they're also in, uh, uh, encountering diasporic meaning where Jews had been scattered beyond Jerusalem, and they're also encountering Gentile communities that ha- or Jewish communities that have high numbers of Hellenized or Greek or Gentile folks among them. Yeah. Right? Okay.
2: Well, in the address that's given here at the beginning of the speech uh, in verse 16, is men of Israel and you who fear God, which mm-hmm. is that—that's the language we saw with the story of Cornelius. He was a God-fearing um, non-Jew. Yes. Uh, so there's that, that awareness that it's a—it's a mixed room, but that these are people who have some sort of inclination toward or some sort of sense of who Yahweh is. And so, yeah.
1: So Paul and Barnabas, are they start in at the Jewish synagogue in Iconium, and it's, and, and there, there are people who are believing. But it says the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly. They were doing signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some with the Jews and some with the apostles. And an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. But they learn of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, into the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So then they go to Lystra, and what happens at Lystra? They preach. Paul ends up getting stoned.
0: Yeah, it's it's the same pattern. Oh, honestly, this is one of the things that can be uh, for our listeners. Uh, we were just talking about this on the break. This can be a little confusing about about the Book of Acts, is because really the, one of the main things that's changing in each chapter is the city. What's happening isn't mm-hmm. changing. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just going to preach, and mm-hmm. then some will listen, some will believe, others are going to try to persecute them. Yeah. So they flee Iconium so that they won't get stoned, only to go to the next city in which he does get stoned. Right absolutely
2: yeah. well and but why like that's a really important question to ask why keep telling the same story over and over again
1: well because there's such what well, what did they, be- they
2: say at the church planting conferences <laughs>
1: That wasn't
0: me either. I still have
1: two. <laughs> well, there's there's such a widespread harvest opportunity, right? I mean, so that's like that's the most compelling reason is that they're being sent out to preach the gospel to people who haven't heard or to people who have not yet believed, right? And so they're going into these communities that are what we might say unreached or unengaged, and they're also going into places where there's widespread confusion. I mean, look at what happens at Lystra; they're mm-hmm. mistaken for gods.
0: Which is, isn't there an interesting phrase here? So it says the, uh, they're mistaken for gods in Lystra. In the text says in verse 11, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. That's the doctrine of incarnation.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Talk about that some more.
0: Well, it's just a, uh, this is one thing that people don't realize. Obviously, uh The incarnation is the event that sets Christianity apart from every other uh, major religion, yet there are some parallel ideas. In Greek mythology, mm-hmm. of the gods coming down to visit us, but it's it's not this. It's definitely not the same sure. as the doctrine of the incarnation. But it also wasn't an entirely foreign idea. Yeah. in the Greek speaking world,
1: their story had primed them a little bit. That's because right. Because they had a. We've talked about this on here before, but without getting too much into the weeds, these are pre-modern communities mm-hmm. where the idea of gods existing was not up for debate. Right. It was just like yes, there are gods. The question is who are the true gods or who is the true. And how do we interact with them? Where are they? What is their character? What do they look like? What do they do? And in this story, they're like, look at this. They're the gods. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, right? Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. it says that they heard of it. They heard people saying, these are the gods that have come down in the likeness of men. They tore their garments. They rushed out in the crowd crying out, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. And, uh, and then it says at the very end of verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and well, something else I don't want to miss here in chapter 14 is you really get a fairly uh, <laughs> built out, at least early built out nat- view of natural, creational theology, natural mm-hmm. theology, mm-hmm. the goodness of God yeah. to all people. And so Paul is making the point that he also makes in Romans chapter 1 that you should worship God based solely on creation, You should not worship creation, but God has made himself and his invisible attributes clearly known, and we should perceive them. So the fact that you have rain that falls down and gives you water, he says, or uh, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness, that – and this is going back to the theology of Genesis chapter 1, that God is the creator of heaven and earth, and he's dispersing his goodness through creation to us, yeah. and we should worship him alone. That's why Paul says here, you should turn from these vain things to a living God. But because of our human nature, we worship the created things rather than the creator. Yeah.
2: Well, it's it's a major departure from Greco-Roman yes. God worship, which was, so basically, I love it because the appeal that he makes here is to say, God, gave." this is the Lord sends rain on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. He's basically saying that. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is the goodness of God has been available to you even when you did not mm-hmm. Offer sacrifices to him. Mm -hmm. Whereas within the Greek and Roman pantheon, you secure the goodness of a God by offering sacrifices to them. And he specifically mentions the things for which sacrifices were offered. That you would have a fruitful harvest, yes. that you would be um, cared for, um, that you would have food and gladness. These are the things that sacrifices were offered for. And what he's saying is the true and living God, the reason that your gods are vain or, or your, your idea of, of who God is is vain is because it is merit-based. Mm-hmm. And what we're offering to you is not that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. That is cool. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a bible passage the courage for life study bibles for women and the courage for life study bibles for men have over 1400 bible studies that's a bible study on every page of bible text Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit guide to That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. to gospel You know what's not cool? The Jews from Antioch and Iconium. They're not cool. Not at cool. All. Okay, verse 19. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium having persuaded the crowds. Now, well, hold on a second. Are they in Antioch or Iconium right now? No, they're in Lystra. Yeah. So, but have they been in Antioch and Iconium? Mm-hmm. So these guys are following trolling some trolls, him. just like you could just imagine that it's they're really not laugh. They're not on Twitter. They're just like no. falling behind them. Hey like, hey guys, road hey trip. Hey guys, everybody.
0: And and something that we should pay attention here to, Jen, I love that you guys have like maps uh, in your studies so you can yeah, see. Yeah, we do. This is a 900 mile missionary journey. <laughs> Nine hundred miles. I
2: was I was eyeballing our intern <laughs> yeah, over there who, who because she had to, I made I made her be the map
0: queen. But not so like, think about the commitment to trolling to uh-huh. travel nine hundred miles yeah. from city. It's not like they're you going. You know how much
2: I hate you enough to travel 900 to miles, miles to yeah, the next like okay, for Yeah, yeah, we'll go
0: down. We'll go down yeah. to the next city center, or the next town. Mm-hmm. It's like. It's across the Mediterranean world (laughs) that they're saying. (laughs) These guys, we need to give them some trouble.
1: Yep. And so they follow him over there and it says having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. So this must have been a beatdown. Right? I mean like And literally. Like yeah, because Paul, like they 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 think he's dead. dead. So they're like, they're like, let's get this guy out of the city, right? Mm-hmm. But when the disciples got to the bottom, he rose up. He entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So now they retrace their steps, mm-hmm. right? So they go on after they've led people to the Lord in each of these communities where they've encountered resistance in each of these communities. They get to Lystra. He's stoned. He gets up they get, they go back
2: I'm sorry this just makes me laugh <laughs> because, because I have a personal story that relates to this
0: really human stone
2: where uh <laughs> no no when matt was a freshman in high school my son and okay. he, he came home from his giant public high school and was in, and tells me that steven got stoned and i totally thought he was talking about a friend <laughs> and i got Did they all worried about at the it. school he's like steven got stoned today and i'm like who is Stephen? Yeah. You know, like, and and it turned out he had read in his quiet time about the stoning of Stephen. Mm. So, just living in the suburbs, when you say get stoned, right. sometimes Somebody. people think of something different. And
1: but in this in this situation, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> he retraces his steps back, uh, and it says encouraging them to continue in the faith. And then it says this: when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed it to the Lord in him in whom they had believed. Then they keep going on their journey. We're going to come. The Jerusalem Council, just a moment, but,
2: but hang I, on, hang on. Picture Paul; he he's he's stoned to the point that people think he's dead. Yeah, and then he's preaching the next day. Yes, yeah. like black eye split yeah. lip, propped up. I picture Barnabas is kind of like behind him, like, holding yeah. him vertical. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Yes.
0: And what's interesting here is what is being preached. He's saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of mm-hmm. God. Like that's part of the message. of And what he's they're preaching. living it. And they're living it. They're embodying this message and proclaiming it. And the early church picks up this verse in particular – to begin to develop, and of course many others, yeah. to begin to develop uh, their theological idea of the imitation of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're saying Paul is one of the first people to do this, and we must do this also. Yeah. And this is not a message that's really popular today. Mm-hmm. It's through many, uh, you know, great blessings you will enter the kingdom of God. Or right. spiritual
2: experiences, yeah. it, or... it's.
0: it's it's this is the message of the cross before the crown. Yep. That we must endure with him if we want to enjoy the presence of him. Yeah. Is that to, to be a follower of Christ is to en- endure great tribulations, trials, persecutions in order to enter the kingdom of God.
1: Yeah, and you know, that's such an important point. And it's vital for us to understand that textured life behind the writings of the Apostle Paul when you get to the epistles. Mm-hmm. That when he's instructing the churches that he has either been to or he intends to go to, um, when he's instructing them about suffering, he is one well acquainted with suffering for right. the cause of Christ, which I know, I, I know that's the context behind many of the letters. But Acts is giving you the stories that, that have textured that life richly. And I think that's a meaningful thing, that he, he is one who is cr- a credible witness mm-hmm. to both the suffering and the glory mm-hmm. of Christ Jesus. Now, I do want to ask a question here. And I don't mean this question to be provocative. It's, it's something that I'm actually – like it's a question I've asked myself. And as I'm reading through Acts, I find myself asking it again: Was Paul a pastor? No, I don't think so. That's what that that's kind of my need because he does not remain like he's a missionary. Yeah. he's a church planner. He's a mm-hmm. circuit preacher. He's an evangelist. Mm-hmm. He's a circuit preacher. Those would all be apt descriptions. And sometimes he lingers for you know a while mm-hmm. at a given locale. But like he's not somebody who is setting up shop somewhere to stay there, right? Well, then that. Raises another question. Yeah. Should the church
2: planters all be using Acts as their manual?
1: Well, it's a good question.
0: Well, they should be using it insofar as they continue to plant churches. Yeah. Like Antioch is a church plant.
1: Yeah. Yes. And
0: they should send out other church planters. Right. So, yeah, it certainly can be used, but Paul should not be used as a model to be a pastor. Right,
1: And I think that that's... That's kind of what I'm... Yeah. Yes. Because... There are times, I, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong here, and if I am, then that's... then I We will be certainly told. let you Thank know. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes Paul is held up as, like, the paradigm of a... Pa- like here, mm-hmm. here you, A pastor would be somebody like Paul. But, like, I don't know that that's the case. Not that there's nothing of imitation in his character. Oh yeah,
0: this is not like a character. It's just a matter of like in the New Testament, the office this is, is. Role related. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, pastor is office. It's a role. It's right. And in, in here at the end uh, of their time in Lystra, verse twenty three, and when they had appointed elder, elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord right. in whom they had believed. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense in which Paul, Paul does not see himself as one. Right. He sees him as training up others. He's the right. network. Installing yeah. them. in the church Network. So that he could then leave and, and continue to, to continue to go.
2: Yeah. You didn't give me a limit. So I'm I just didn't, over here. And I should have. That yeah. was a terrible yeah. mistake.
1: But yeah, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because I think we think about leaders in the church, if, synonymous with pastors. Mm-hmm. But Paul, as an example, and, they're, and not like he's the only one, there are many examples of leaders in the church in the New Testament that are not pastors, mm-hmm. tons, okay? Stephen, obviously, is an example of a deacon, not an elder, in the life of the church, and he's right out of the gate in the book of Acts. Um, but I do think it's, uh, it's, it's worth considering, kind of reflecting on, mm-hmm. that Paul, who has this significant influence— over the life of many churches, over the breadth of his ministry, I was I don't know that it would be proper to speak of him, even within the context of what the New Testament is talking about when it talks about a pastor as a pastor. Now I do have a book on my shelf by Scott McKnight that I'm reading starting next week called Pastor Paul. So he might make that might sounds
2: be the, like he might challenge that he
1: he might make that's the compelling I'm surprised by that. Well
0: I me too, but that's why I'm reading the book. Yeah. But. Well, then don't take what we've said authoritatively. But yeah, my, my, I, I, I trust God in a little too. bit. No. But, I, but just instinctively, I, I, again, I've, I've not done a study on this, but I don't think that the term presbyteros or like the terms that yep. the Bible is using to refer to elders, pastors, bishops, mm-hmm. or overseers is ever used for Paul.
1: Yeah, I don't know that. I don't
0: know either. Now, now a distinction we should make is, is he being pastoral? Of course. Of course he is. Yeah. Like, he is doing many of the things that a pastor should and would do, but yeah. I don't think he ever— was responsible for overseeing a local congregation right. the way we would think of other elders in the new testament
1: yeah but right. and then his office is distinctively
2: apostolic yes i was gonna say let's not lose sight of the purpose of the book of acts mm-hmm.
1: right exactly okay that was an interesting question thank you mm-hmm. i was like I was reading through acts this time around this time around going through it for the podcast i just found myself like what would i would, mm-hmm. would paul identify as a pastor like was that his self-conception anyways in Acts fifteen, you get to the Jerusalem counter and uh, Jerusalem council, and there we encounter a resistant voice of what's happening in the Gentiles. So, I want to. So, the the concern here is what I want to give the best reading of yeah. of Jewish angst here.
0: Yeah, you, you really can understand it if you're understanding the New Testament following the Old Testament and the story of the Bible. The thing that separates. God's people, to show that they're God's people, is circumcision. This is a sign that's given to Abraham and then subsequently through Moses that the way you set apart the people of God, the people who believe in the promises and the covenants of God, is to circumcise them. And so it's reasonable to understand what they're doing here in Acts 15, verses 1, I guess just verse 1. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so they're just saying they—they're they, now believing. Okay. Gentiles can be included Mm -hmm. into the people of God, but how do we demonstrate their inclusion? Well, we have to do it through circumcision. They need
2: to receive the sign of the covenant. And
1: can we press pause real quick on just this? We think about these rules and regulations as, again, it's easy for us to just be like, these are arbitrary things. Mm -hmm. But the understanding of the Jewish community, and this is, there's debate on this. So I'm giving you my vantage point on this. Not my vantage point, but the vantage point of a particular Mm. block of consideration of this is that the idea of circumcision wasn't just like, here's an arbitrary thing. It was a boundary marker, an identification marker for the people of God and for Israel, along with the whole law, was a way of distinguishing them between the nations. They're now the clean people. Exactly. And the people that they're not
0: making – and this is important. They're not making themselves clean through circumcision. Yes, God has made them clean through yes. circumcision. So, like
2: they're showing themselves. This is clean.
0: this is yes. kind of a debated topic, but it's important to see that the Jewish community was a community that believed in grace. Yes, this is this is this can be fairly paradigm shifting for people. It was not that the Jews were legalists and the Christians. Uh, you know believing in grace. Right. It was simply that gr- the grace of God is shown through these boundary markers. Yep. So they weren't suggesting you need to make yourself right to God by keeping the law, but since God has made you right with him, you should keep the law. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Huge.
1: Huge because if you read it the other way then you set them up always as the enemy. Right. Of like, well they fundamentally misunderstood everything. Yeah. And wow, how could they have misread the Old Testament so drastically?
0: The Old Testament in in and Judaism, as it's described in the Old and New Testaments, is a faith based upon grace. Yeah. It's simply how do you demonstrate the
1: signs of that grace? Absolutely. Yeah. That's huge. And when they get here, their resistance – the resistance is are, the, are these Gentiles going to have the boundary markers? Right. Essentially, do they have to become Jewish by boundary marker or identification marker to be in the faith of Yahweh? right right so this i mean the jerusalem council moment is a big moment in this in what is the whole book intention of the gentiles grafted in and it's been
2: fermenting you remember
1: when Mm -hmm. peter
2: had his which was probably your best title ever for an episode the blanket full of bacon thank you episode uh it was the the members of the circumcision party who said wow this must mean that 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 salvation has come to the gentile as well as to the jew and so you can see how somewhere in between that scene and this scene there was this sort of regrouping or this further thought process of but how can that be
0: right and then you see in verse six it says the apostles so they're they're having this challenge people are teaching and it says verse six the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter when i read that i was was reading this a couple days ago to prepare for this I thought of what we do, not that we're doing some kind of council, mm-hmm. but theology and community. Like yeah. This is no different than, than maybe uh, issues that the church right now is facing around gender or transhumanism mm. or questions about politics. It's really important to gather together and do Talk theology with each other. Yep.
1: So they're there. And Peter has a moment here, doesn't he? He does. Like he's not always been sterling. And he won't always be, but he has a moment of clarity and he's able to communicate it effectively, right? What does he say? So Peter stands up among them and says, brothers, you know that in the early days, this is verse seven of Acts 15, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And it says the whole assembly fell silent. And they began at this point to listen to Barnabas and Paul talk about this is what God is doing among the Gentiles. It's a mic drop moment. It is a mic drop moment. Mm-hmm. And Peter is certainly, I mean, in this, in this council meeting. Would you, is it fair to say that Peter has a, a significantly loud voice among those who have gathered? Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this is everyone's kind of talking, but you're also waiting to hear what Peter has to say. Mm-hmm. And he listens and he's he's trying to recount all that God has done in Cornelius that he has seen and, or uh, Paul's frustration with him when he joins the party of the circumcision, mm-hmm. right, and, and kind of removes himself from the Gentiles. And he's a moment where he wants to say very clearly, okay, here's what God has done and here's how you receive the grace of God in Christ
2: and yep. he's he's being a witness, yes, he's bearing witness yep. uh, in this moment, yeah, and and he's bearing witness to both what he has seen happen, his own personal experience of Gentiles coming to saving faith and the Spirit being poured out upon them as well. And he's also bearing witness to the words of Jesus mm-hmm. who said, "Take my yoke on you because my yoke is easy, and my burden is." light. Mm -hmm. And in the minute that he says this, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers or we've been able to bear? He's he's intending for them to remember the words of Jesus.
1: Yep. Love that. And I also love too that Peter is willing to put his credibility and power on the line here, his influence on the line. Mm Because you have to think like, I don't know the dynamics behind this situation, but if I could give it just a quick power dynamic reading. Here is Peter standing up in a room in which he probably has a lot to lose in Jerusalem,
0: mm-hmm. like
1: the seat of his influence mm-hmm. at this point. And he's willing to say, you know what? God is doing something among them. That's I've right. seen it. But mm-hmm. he also has
2: massive credentials at it, this
1: point. Yeah, absolutely. He's walked
2: with Jesus. Yep. He has witnessed Jesus' ascension, Yep. resurrection and ascension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he has witnessed the Spirit do far more and abundantly than anyone thought the spirit would do. So he's really the only person in the room probably who can say all of those things and be heard and be heard.
1: So can we read the letter real quick? Of course. That's where I was going. Why don't you do it? I'll do it. So, so that I love
0: this part of acts is you actually, we actually have a copy of the letter Mm -hmm. that is sent to the churches. So this is the conclusion that they come to. It says brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia greetings since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with their words with words unsettling your minds although we gave them no instructions it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements: that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from the, uh, if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Mm.
2: So notice what's happening here with the witnesses, right? Because we've talked about bearing witness before. So they send as, as witnesses, they send Barnabas and Paul, who have also the credentials of having yep. been willing to take serious hits to yep. preserve the message of the gospel. And then they follow it up with, we're not just sending you these two witnesses. We're also sending you Judas and Silas, who were a part of this conversation without having any prior motive or anything, you know, to, to have this decision come down a particular way. Mm. And so the four of these, these two groups of witnesses are yeah. there to, to bear testimony to that this is the decision of the council.
0: Yeah. The letter's so wonderful. It's really wonderful. And you get to the end, I just think, what a breath of fresh air. It would yeah. feel like if you were, mm-hmm. if you were a new mm-hmm. Gentile convert and you're like, wait a second. Do I need to be circumcised? Mm-hmm. Like, that might yeah. be weighing pretty heavily on you. I, I think and it would like, be. No, just don't. Just, just, just like that's, that's right.
2: This is a funny moment for me. I usually only get to talk about circumcision in rooms full of women. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, as we've said earlier on the podcast, they had some skin in the game.
1: <laughs> oh, <No, laughs> a line I really Stop. wish would never have been said. Yeah.
0: But seriously, this is significant for them not just because of physical issues but like they're wondering to themselves have we been made clean yeah you know does god view us the same way he views them are we second class is there some kind of a a varsity and a jv people among um, uh, among the people of god and they're saying no. It's actually we're, this mm-hmm. is really easy. You want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols or blood or things that have been strangled, and keep yourself from sexual immorality. These are the things that in a in a, a Greco Roman world
1: are going to set you apart as the people of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I love it too because it is such a beautiful picture of how the church is going to regulate itself or mm-hmm. how, how it should, like there is a council. There is a, a, it seems like there are diverse voices representing yeah. positions that are on the spectrum. And then there are voices that speak with prophetic power, clarity with a lot on the line who give witness to the work of God. And then there's a distillation of that in the letter, like a council meets. So before you have the council of Nicaea, you have the Jerusalem council.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah.
1: Right. It's not like it's not like those moves later in church history are somehow like so. How anomalous. are we going to do this? Right. Do, it's how... like, no, there's already a pattern precedent, a precedent of yeah. going. Is there a question? Let's gather. Let's gather together in the same place. Let's meet face to face. Let's talk about these ideas with substance, with import. Let's hear from credible witnesses and then let's reach consensus and move forward. I think that's
0: fantastic. I, you're, you're exactly right. I had not picked this up when I was preparing for this, but to, to kind of move us to the end of chapter 15. Is, so here you have this moment of unity. Paul and Barnabas coming mm-hmm. together, confessing what they've seen mm-hmm. God do among the Gentiles. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's this beautiful. beautiful picture of church unity. And immediately after, you have these guys who've brought the the biggest picture of unity the church has ever seen uh-huh. arise in sharpest agreement. <laughs> yep. And leave each other. <laughs> yeah. That's not going
2: to be us, right, guys? Well.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a prophet. <laughs> but it's sad, right? So so they're going to go back out uh, to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take uh, him because he had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone, not gone on with him in the work. So they have this sharp disagreement, and Barnabas ends up taking Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed.
2: Mm. a sad moment. Yeah. You think it's like an Enneagram moment?
0: What? Because like Barnabas, (laughs) I don't know the right
2: numbers. I just never in a million years thought Thought Jen Wilkins. Yeah, yeah, I can't (laughs) tell you what the numbers mean. I just know there are numbers and they relate to personalities. So... Uh But like Barnabas is Mr. Encouragement guy. Yeah. So you can picture him being like, hey, but man, he's give him a do-over. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And Paul, who's like, nope, one yeah, and done. Yeah. Uh, Fool me uh, once. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. right. And so I don't know if we're supposed to read this and be like, oh, come on, guys, just get yeah. along. Yes. I wonder if we read it's, it and think, yeah, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Yes. And it, it seems to be that Paul and Barnabas, despite the fact that they have a sharp disagreement Obviously, they remain unified in the in the most important things, and they do nothing to jeopardize the mission yeah. in the way that they handle the conflict.
0: Right. I, this, I'd pro- this is probably overstatement, but sometimes God can use disagreements like this over secondary issues to yes. further to the well, mission. Well, that's what happens right? here, right? Absolutely.
2: Is You multiply the work. Yeah. And you Which realize, is not okay, to say we let's...
0: still love each other. We're still on the same page. We're preaching the same gospel, but we probably need to do it. Separately, Yeah, yeah. W-
2: which is not to say let's look for opportunities no. to, no, to no, 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 be no. fractious or anything like that. But, no, um, But yeah. at some
0: point we realize we have diversity in our unity. and yeah. It's probably best that our diversity lead us in separate missions. Absolutely. Can
2: yeah. I ask you guys, though, like in looking at the Jerusalem Council, like I've been a part of trying to find a place of unity on various issues in the church. Like I've worked on trying to get papers written or, or, or arrive at a position on things. Is it overly simplistic reading of the text to say that the Jerusalem Council was they got into a room, they had a conversation, they wrote a letter and resolved the issue? Do we think that the Council took place over a period of time?
0: I don't think the Council took I, – I don't know this. I don't yeah. think it took place over a period of time, but it didn't settle it.
1: Oh, yeah, no, we know true. that for sure. I mean, go to, go, go yeah. to the mm-hmm. letter to Galatia, Yeah. Right? So right. like,
0: and that's also true for every other council in church history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, as soon as you come into a decision, the people who disagree with you really bristle. Like, yeah. it's not mm-hmm. like they're like, okay, you know what? You were right. They go mm-hmm. back it's and they think, think. and then it really, then they. It really mm-hmm. takes a lot of time after you've made the decision Absolutely. for these things to settle. And some mm-hmm. wildfires kind of explode immediately after the initial decision.
2: Yep. So we're actually not seeing a solution. We're seeing a process.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well,
1: yeah. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That makes me tired. It it is. Well, it's the long work, the long work of theological triage and consensus and building and kingdom moves and starts and stops. Mm -hmm. Well, beauty and brokenness in Acts 15 and in the story of PB and J. Um, you, (laughs) You don't like that title. It's fun. You don't like it. It's fine. Just say you don't like it. It's one episode.
0: I expect better from you.
1: (laughs) That stings. For more information, (laughs) you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to be exploring the resurrection of the body in the Apostles Creed. See you next time. Grace and peace.